0: Ready?
1: Absolutely.
0: Here we go. You are listening to Learning Transforms from the Faculty of Education at the University of Victoria.
1: We are coming to you from the traditional territories of Lekwangan people and recognize the Songhees Esquimalt and Wasanich people's historical relationships with the land. Welcome to the show. Hi, Shanine. Hey, Ted
0: what are we talking about today
1: oh it's exciting there was a kitchen talk mm-hmm. and a visit downstairs in at the education building I was really pleased but before I get into all of that I want to say that we have two guests today we have Allison and we have Teresa with us today
0: okay And you're going to tell us more about the kitchen talk?
1: Oh, I have to, because it was so exciting. (laughs) Allison had given me a heads up about a project that was coming. There was going to be an artist in residence in-house. And so I just had to check it all out. And so one day, when it was really busy and I needed a brain break, I went downstairs and I met Teresa. And she had set up a kitchen table and some beautiful family photos. I'm getting too far in. I think we should turn to our guests. Good afternoon.
2: Hello. Hello. Thanks, Good
1: to see you both. Would you mind uh, talking a little bit about your roles, um, who you are and your roles? Yeah. That would be great.
2: Thanks. Uh, I'm Alison Shields, uh, and I'm an assistant professor uh, in art education um, in the Faculty of Education here at UVic. Um, and and I started working here uh, about two years ago. Uh, and and one of the things that, that struck me when I, I first came into the space um, was this beautiful uh, gallery kind of in a central location um, called the Wilfred Johns Gallery um, that has been around for decades, established by uh, Professor Wilfred Johns. Um, and it ha- as an artist who has done, um, I've done many artist residencies in various places um, in communities, in schools, uh, in universities, and and I think there's something really uh, powerful uh, for uh, For an artist and for whoever the community is um, to to have an artist residency in a particular space so uh, from the beginning of being there I imagined setting up an artist in residence program um, which would mean inviting an artist to come and work in the space for for the month Um, and and the space is a very open concept Uh, gallery space where uh, if you're walking by from up above you can kind of look down um, almost like a fishbowl you can kind of see down in this case into the into the kitchen table space Um, and we have over a thousand students um, from across the whole university uh, faculty of education students and um, and undergrads from across the whole university uh, coming through uh, through into the gallery uh, throughout each year uh, so uh, we put out a call to to artists to come and and uh, inhabit the space for the month, and we got uh, several artists um, uh, who proposed ways of thinking about uh, the relationship between art making and pedagogy. Uh, and and the selected artist uh, Teresa, who's here today, uh, came into the space um, and set up a, a kitchen table for the month uh, and engaged with faculty and students within the space.
1: Fantastic. Mm. Teresa, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about who you are and where you're from?
3: Sure. Uh, I am a member of the White River First Nation of Beaver Creek, Yukon, and I am the inaugural artist for uh, the art education department in the Wilford A. John's Gallery, um, where I spent a month in uh, residence and focused on my work and set up... Um, space that I wanted to explore about indigenous pedagogy and whether or not that can work in a setting like the university so that's kind of um, a little bit of the background of where I come from but I'm a full-time artist and uh, independent curator so for the last year and a half I've been focusing on solely art um, and curating art and I have a degree in anthropology from the University of Victoria graduated in 2014
1: Excellent. Well, when we walked into the space, uh, I looked over the (laughs) fishbowl, and what I saw was uh, a very inviting um, environment. Can you describe uh, what you created in the space, in the gallery space?
2: Mm
3: -hmm. So the residency application, when I first um, looked at what Alison and Ingrid had written, I was asking an artist to focus on their pedagogy, so how do artists learn? Um, how do they teach? Um, and how can that fit into the context of the university? So, like I said, I'm I have a background in anthropology, but I don't have um, any academic training in art. Uh, so no art history major, no fine arts degree, nothing like that. Um, so self-taught artist, um, but I was taught by my grandma um, in my community. So kind of wanted to echo the ways that I actually learned how to do art in the space and she taught me at a kitchen table so I had to mimic that um, into the space. It wasn't exactly how my grandma's house looks or anything like that but one wall of the gallery was filled with family photos and that's to echo a part of my grandma's house uh, where she does have family photos floor to ceiling um, everywhere and it was kind of a way that she was able to teach me about my family. So, you know, referencing a great grandparent or something like that. There was always a photo to kind of relate to instead of just a name. So I wanted to put that into the space so people knew where I was coming from. And if I was telling stories about those people, I would be able to reference them on the wall. Um, but the main space that I kind of created was that kitchen table where I invited people to come and sit with me. Um, the kitchen table... Yeah, you know, at a just basic table with a tablecloth. Um, but I had beads all over the space, um, thread needles, uh, scissors, things like that to really invite people uh, to come and sit with me while I'm actually doing beadwork and to be taught that way. So that's kind of how I set it up. Um, I also had a wall um, in the space that had questions, uh, which were focused on um, the questions that I came with. To the space and hoping that people would engage with me. Um, and then, uh, the wall that was kind of right behind me when I was sitting at the kitchen table was blank at first. Um, and that I had like a little <laughs> clothes hanger basically, um, going across that wall. And it was all about, um, the anticipation of having people complete work or work in progress to be displayed up on the wall throughout the residency. And it, I'll get to
1: it later, but it it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the part that was so exciting, to see that kitchen table, to see those photos. Oh, it really took me back home. My, uh, my grandparents had the photos all the way up to the ceiling, and all the space on the wall was covered, so that's what drew me in.
0: Allison, I think, it, if I'm correct, I, I think this is part of a bigger project that mm. you're doing, this residence that... Mm. Teresa did here is part of a larger study that you yeah. have some funding to do around artists and residents and community yeah. engagement and so on. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Um, so, kind of all of my all of my research um, throughout the last decade uh, is largely about, um, I'd say, if I could kind of bring together a common thread, it's kind of looking at how art um, can transform space. Um, and I've investigated that in a variety of ways, uh, interviewing artists in studios, uh, I've made paintings of studios, um, I've been an artist in residence, as I said, in various locations um, where I got to experience as an artist uh, what that means to to be in, in a different space of learning and making. Uh, so, so those questions have always uh, been with me uh, for the last decade. Um, but. Uh, since being at, at UVic and, and seeing the space that has so much potential uh, it really uh, kind of firmed up uh, a research direction related to artists in residencies here at UVic. Um, and so I would say my, my research questions are, are related to two kind of interconnected streams. One related to investigating artistic research or research creation as it relates to pedagogy um, and a lot of that uh, comes with, with talking to the artist and seeing what, what they create. Uh, it's, it's interesting because while I had my own research questions, uh, what was really uh, compelling and interesting with, with Teresa is that she also came in with her own research uh, questions and inquiry questions. Uh, so neither of us kind of knew the answers or what was going to happen. Uh, so that's the one, one part of the research is really looking at, at what is created within this space. Um, and then the second uh, kind of part of that research is looking at the impact on uh, faculty and students and the community in general. Uh, so, this was the pilot study, and uh, the hope is to uh, have an artist in residence uh, each term for the next couple of years to investigate uh, those questions. And, and with each one, uh, putting out a pretty open call uh, for. However, an artist imagines engaging with pedagogy through art making um, and also thinking about what that artist can bring uh, that extends and deepens or challenges uh, or disrupts uh, uh, what students are already learning and getting uh, here at, at UVic. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this unfolds over the next couple of years. And, um, and I really am thankful ter- for Teresa kind of uh, breaking us in with this inaugural a residency and, and so much came of it and, and so many new questions have emerged uh, moving forward with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it was really interesting mm-hmm. for me as an Indigenous person to recognize something from back home in that space and so your uh, work to indigenize that physical mm-hmm. space it resonated for me mm-hmm. but I'm curious how did uh, teacher education students respond
2: uh, so so uh, probably Teresa can kind of give a, a different view than, uh, than I will because I think what was um, kind of really nice about it was that, uh, you know, they're, they're used to interacting with their professors um, and then here they got to interact and have different conversations that they could with, with artists. So we're probably getting two different views of this. Um, but uh, I've talked to a lot of um, our teacher education students and faculty. Uh, we have... Uh, two groups of students the elementary uh teacher education students and uh and the secondary teacher education students and and i think that they both kind of got very different things from it um i talked with our professor who teaches the secondary cohort uh today and and they took an inquiry approach to working with her as well so uh rather than um rather than have uh kind of Teresa come in and say, this is what I want to happen, or, or the professor saying, this is what I want to happen. Uh, she actually went to the students and say, w- what do you want to learn through this experience? Um, and so they uh, each kind of took their own approach to working with her, uh, coming in and, and beating, having conversations about the bigger questions related to pedagogy. Uh, from talking with this professor, and I'll follow up with, with the students, um, a, a common theme that came up a lot had to do with time. Um, and, and kind of thinking about kind of the, the structuring of time, um, particularly around uh, particular objectives uh, or, or measurable objectives, and kind of really thinking uh, both for themselves as university students, but also what they want to bring to their classrooms, um, how to kind of think about the learning that happens in these um, perhaps non-quantifiable or, or not uh, ways that aren't measurable, um, and what happens when we kind of give up Uh, Just spend time uh, in conversation and in making um, and what emerges through that. So I think for for the the secondary students um, that was a really valuable experience Um, and I've also talked with with some of the elementary teachers um, largely individually because they were much larger classes Um, a lot of them uh, decided to on their own initiative uh, 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 go in kind of one-on-one and and one particular student uh, said she had some she walked by one day and had a bit of time, so wandered down and chatted with Teresa and, and then ended up going back and spending four hours having a conversation and and finding these connections uh, between uh, uh, kind of her experiences in childhood and her learning experience. And, and so I think those one-on-one interactions uh, were really rich for a lot of the students as well.
3: Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, we had kind of... We had two different types of interactions uh, throughout the month. One was scheduled classes coming into the space. I never went to a classroom. I don't want to go into a classroom because I talk differently when I'm in a a different space. Uh, But because I surrounded the gallery with people that I know and photos and and really made it my own, um, I had requested that every class come into the space if they wanted to visit. Um, so I had that interaction with students where we, you know, there was one class we were doing workshop with um, one or two classes actually um, Doing workshops where I'm actually teaching the students how to bead and then the other classes were kind of doing Just a generic kind of artist talk, but specifically about the residency and to try to um, Encourage people to come back later. So that was one experience that I had with students um, and in that way It was really kind of open-ended it was all about you know they didn't have to engage with beadwork I never want anyone to feel like they have to uh, because that's not the way that we learn this um, art Um, so that was one structure and then the other one was drop-ins and I had so many drop-ins I had people from the department I had people from other departments I had a a grandmother with her grandchild come and visit with me. Not taking any classes, she's just a visitor. Um, So I had a lot of different um, experiences with people uh, that were actually just dropping into the space. They saw a sign, or they saw the the beadwork or something like that in the um, above me, kind of at the top of the fishbowl. Um, And they just kind of ventured down, saw me beading, would watch, they were like, can I try? and I was like, yeah, of course. And those are the ones um, that definitely fulfilled a lot for me because I was able to have, uh, like Allison was talking about, this time. I was able to have time with them. If they were able to spend five minutes with me, sure, you know, next week they would spend a couple hours with me. They came back. They were, you know, recurring. Uh, which I really enjoyed because it was a a friendly face once again that I was able to be like oh yeah I don't know your name but I know what you told me Um, and in those situations when it's very personal one-on-one it you know people tell me everything (laughs) I know everything about their lives I don't know their names (laughs) Um, which I think is really interesting and it's a way that I think beadwork acts as kind of that medium um, that it allows you to focus on a artwork but at the same time you're thinking about the bigger questions that I'm posing or just in general um, having a connection like oh my grandma did crocheting this reminds me of that all of these kind of different connections were able to be met. Um, I remember at the beginning of my residency a friend of mine said um, you know indigenous people connect with the kitchen table a lot especially with beads on it And she said, but what about the non-indigenous students? What about the non-indigenous faculty? Will they be able to pick up what you're laying down? And I said, "Um, yeah, I think so, because what is a kitchen table? There's an expectation that people eat around a kitchen table. You sit there with your family during a meal and you ask what your day is like. It's it's kind of this ongoing cross-cultural symbol, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, So that I felt like I did have an argument of um, using the kitchen table and it was able to really bring out a lot of conversations with folks. Um, And I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed both uh, ways. The classes actually scheduled coming into the space. um, That was really for uh, focusing on the courses that were actually really interacting with the questions that I was posing, which were all about um, Indigenous pedagogy in a Western colonial setting and then uh, the individuals kind of coming out of just general curiosity. It was really quite interesting to see both perspectives of those two different people coming into the space.
0: So, Teresa, beating is a obviously a, a huge part of your, your culture. It's an expression of it. It's not just art. It's how you convey all kinds of things. Can you talk about where that came from and how long it's been a part of your background and heritage and
3: yeah sure Um, so beading beadwork came probably in the 1800s to the Yukon Um, we didn't first get beads until mostly Russian trade um, on the coast of Alaska or in BC and and those coastal peoples actually traveling inland to trade beads with us Um, prior to any contact um, and prior to beads um, the the clothes that you would wear were adorned with things like shells, um, porcupine quills for us, uh, things like that, that were able to be put on clothing, because we're human, we like pretty things, (laughs) and quills and things like that, you can actually dye, uh, with natural dyes and things like that, so, um, a lot of the clothes, uh, now I have to explain... All of the traditional clothing that we wore pre-contact, nobody has that in a closet. It's all through photos, uh, different museums. Because my First Nation is the smallest uh, community in the Yukon, uh, we're connected to Alaska quite a bit. So a lot of our um, old traditional clothing is actually in the States. So I haven't been able to actually access those physically, but through photos and things like that, and through what people tell us. And porcupine quills was by far one of the most um, used pieces. And then dentilium shells, which were traded through the coast because those are obviously um, found on uh, coastlines. And we were able to access these kind of things. My family did not have contact with outsiders until the 1940s when the Alaska Highway came through the Yukon um, my great grandpa was basically given a choice. Are you on Alaska side? Are you American? Or are you Canadian? Um, cause they lived right on the border and he, he was kind of like, well, my camp's on the Canadian side. So I guess we're over here now. Um, that's why my family split through Alaska and, uh, in Yukon. And so if you think of 1940s as kind of when I, f- we first interacted with colonized people, um, colonial uh western community uh that's not too long ago that's quite oh. recent but if you look at our clothing you would be able to see that um people were already starting to wear um western styled clothing so hats uh, fabrics beads like i said in the 1800s beads kind of came into the yukon so how did that happen we didn't meet people until uh we didn't meet settlers until the 1940s and that's all through trade all through trade with coastal people all the way inland that's the way that we were able to um get these supplies the floral component of um the beadwork in the north it's very representative of the north if you think about beadwork in northern canada it's just it's always flowers and that's because at the time that beads came into the Yukon, so did Western European fabrics, which at that time were floral based. They had floral patterns on it. So indigenous women ended up interpreting those floral patterns with the beads that they were able to get. Um, later on, as uh, time went past and, and indigenous women were doing more and more beadwork and things like that, the floral patterns were starting to get distinctive between communities, Um, and when I say communities, I mean, you know, (laughs) small groups, Um, and families and individuals, like each individual beater had their own specific way of actually doing that flower. So it became a natural part of our culture. It replaced the geometric shapes that we're able to use with porcupine quills to using more floral patterns with beadwork. And now in 20, almost 2020, (laughs) you know, um, in a modern contemporary setting that we are in now, um, beads you can do anything with. You can make them 3D, you can put them on things, you can do anything with them. Um, And you really see a lot of Indigenous artists starting to play around with beads and moving further away from those traditional kind of styles, still keeping them there and the skills that come with it, but ultimately really pushing the mold, which I'm very excited about.
0: That's fascinating. So mm-hmm. the the beads were a, a, a trade good. Mm-hmm. So in order for your ancestors to get the beads, what would what were they exchanging for the for the beads? Was it
3: goodness, probably furs, furs? yeah, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have different. There's different animals uh, between the coast and inland Yukon. Uh, you know, it's pretty rare to find a cedar tree up in our area. So we're always looking to the coast for those kind of things. We have birch. We relied mostly on birch. Um, my family's known as um, using a lot of, there's still a lot of people making birch bark baskets. They just, uh, the community just made a birch bark canoe for the first time since like the 1980s. So we're like all excited and things like that. So there's different um, resources that we have in the Yukon versus the coast. And, you know, vice versa. <laughs>
0: right. and the the Russian connection, as you mentioned, where mm-hmm. the the beads were coming primarily from Russia. And you, uh, I remember being in a, a a store in Winnipeg at this place called the Forks, which is at the junction of the the Red and the Assiniboine River, and walking into a store that was full of Ukrainian beadwork. I mean, just amazingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. Pieces of art made Mm -hmm. with those same glass beads.
3: Yeah, most of the beads that we use today um, are either Czech beads uh, from the Czech Republic or um, Japanese beads Um, They're kind of the most common to Basic seed bead that you can
1: get in their glass
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Teresa you had a number of students that were interacting with you and I'm curious what kind of questions did they have for you or what kind of uh, conversations did you have? Mm Um, so
3: a lot of the students that were coming with their classes, um, were really focused on indigenous pedagogy, especially in the art education department. Um, these are people that will possibly go on to become future teachers, um, and they're in British Columbia, um, the curriculum is starting to change to incorporate, um, more indigenous activities, um, learning lessons, things like that, and pedagogy. And, um, Yukon's curriculum echoes British Columbia's. We're basically the same. So anything that, uh, people that will become teachers learn here will also <laughs> affect Yukon. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting, um, conversations that were being brought up by these students. And it was usually around pedagogy and how do we, even basic things like how do we get an artist in our class? Like, how do we approach an Indigenous artist to come into our class? Where do we start? Um, And some of those questions I can't really answer because I don't know. Um, But my first uh, instinct that I have when people say, where do I start in regards to bringing any Indigenous person into a school, whether elementary school, high school, university, anything, um, make the connections. I always get confused when people hesitate about these kind of things of like, I don't know anyone that's Indigenous, I don't know any organizations, honestly, do research. Um, We have a lot of access here at UVic. This is one of the reasons why I chose this university to actually go here was because of the First Peoples House. Um, I knew that there was programs, I knew that the Indigenous um, Studies program was something that I wanted to do. Um, So I purposely chose it because it had that representation. So I basically, one of the answers that I kind of gave to students on and on and on was do your research. Do your homework right now. Take advantage. I'm right here. I'm an indigenous artist that taught in high schools, elementary schools, universities. This is my second one teaching at. um, Ask me those questions now. And a lot of them did take advantage of that, which is good. Um, Anything that they were looking at how do you you know um how do I prepare an artist to come into my classroom what do I have to tell you beforehand all these basic logistical things were kind of coming up um so that was definitely something that I noticed in this department especially uh if I was an artist without that background I would have difficulty but I'm happy I did have that background because it was able to provide some kind of feedback um other things that we ended up talking about was uh there was a lot of people that kind of came to me and they were in the classes, maybe they were individuals that had, um, you know, interest in art. Whether they had a degree before or not, they had an interest in art, but they didn't know what the next step was gonna be. So there were, you know, conversations about um, what do I do as a, coming out of, you know, university, coming out of high school, um, and I want to be a full-time artist. What do I do? Um, how do I make a living in art? There was all of these different kinds of questions coming at me, um, that were besides the beadwork, <laughs> you know, there was more than just beadwork. It was really focused on, um, people and, and the students of kind of, what do I do after? How did you get here? And it's been five years or so since I graduated. So it was kind of, um, it was a way for me to look back and see how I actually got to this point in my career and I was able to provide that kind of feedback and things like that. But the questions that I posed to people, like I mentioned, were about Indigenous pedagogy in a Western colonial setting, um, as well as uh, focusing on, what, are there differences between artists that are self-taught and artists that have a formal education and can those two groups of artists communicate with one another? And because a lot of the students, either in this department or elsewhere, um, they, a lot of them had interest in art. So they were actually able to complete and give me some kind of feedback to those ants uh, to those questions, sorry. And they weren't perfect answers. They were just more questions especially the one about indigenous pedagogy in western colonial settings it was just that one people were like well maybe this is an example of indigenous pedagogy to this residency itself um and then i would pose something else that says well i've adapted indigenous pedagogy to fit within this space and what do you think about that and and honestly people were going back and forth i was able to gather um answers just by talking to people but also writing them down as well so yeah
0: Well, we'd like to thank you both for coming, Alison and Teresa, and talking about your work as an art educator and your work as an artist in residence. And um, thank you for sharing. It's
1: been fantastic. It's always wonderful to sit with one another and visit and to reconnect. So thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This episode of Learning Transforms was produced by Julie Remy.
1: Sound recording is by Bryce Many, and sound editing is by Emily Mabobi.
0: I'm Ted Rickett,
1: and I'm Shaanine Pete. Thanks for listening.